0: We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer in particular, and even though the Lord's Prayer is also a corporate prayer, it is a model for how you and I are to pray in our personal life. And I hope that it'll be a wonderful journey for you, a time of discovery, a time of renewal. The title of this morning's message is The Three Critical Factors That Most Affect Your Prayer Life, and we're going to be reading from Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8, which are the verses that come just before the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus is already teaching about prayer when he begins to explain the the way or the model or the form or the template for us in our personal prayer life. And so you can be turning there, and we're going to be looking at several scriptures this morning, but in particular, Matthew 6, verses 5 through 8. And I would like us to pray this morning as we begin. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to join my brothers and sisters and so easily and without any fear or hesitation, we have the privilege of stepping into your throne room and we recognize the awesome cost that was paid to make that possible. And so we thank you today, Lord, for the redemption, the setting free that is ours through the blood of Jesus Christ. That because you're on your throne and you have invited us to come we are a privileged generation in our ability to come and stand before you and boldly come father we ask that this morning as we open up your word that you would also open up the heavens and that you would come among us that through your spirit You would meet with us that you would speak to our minds that you would take the truth and plant it deep inside of us because we recognize this morning lord that we desperately desperately need you that we live in a world gone mad and it's become such a common thing that hardly even disturbs us anymore as we see blasphemy and as we see things that are offensive to you, things that are destructive to people, and we laugh at them and we join in sometimes. And we often come to this service completely unprepared, with unclean hands and impure hearts, and we ask you to forgive us. We welcome you to this place. We welcome you here, Lord, and we ask that you would raise up this morning as a consequence of our worship, as a consequence of our reading and our study of your word, you would raise up a new generation among us of those with a burden and a fire to pray, to seek you, to be with you, to know you, to love you, to become a people not just controlled by you, but filled by you every day and every moment of every day. And so, Lord, as we look at these things that your Son teaches us, give us receptive hearts and receptive minds. Enable us to see this invitation to pray as never before. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We're beginning this series this morning on prayer. As I thought about it, I, one of the questions came to mind was, why? Why? This, um, when I came here as your pastor, that was the burden on my heart, is that we would first and foremost become and be known as a praying church. And I have not taken us there yet but more than ever I feel intensely that that we are called to this and that what we are the opportunity that we have before us as a church to change lives and transform lives to help churches be renewed to help churches be transformed in this part of the world where we live called the Arkansas Delta This opportunity before us is one that is available and will be accomplished only as you and I pray, only as we seek him. Why is it important? I was reading uh, earlier this morning, we uh, we had our, our monthly deacons meeting, we meet at 630 and can I just say what a blessing these men of God are to me and to our staff and I know they are to you. They love the Lord with all their heart, and each month they take time to pray for you, and they pray for us. But, but I caught something on social media, two young men, both of them I know, both of them graduates of Baptist institutions here in Arkansas, going at it online. And a particular post that one young man had made was followed by 85 comments. And it wasn't that they were unkind to one another, it's that as I listened to each of them, they were taking different positions, one of them still believing in Jesus Christ, but who had so, has drunk so deeply the spirit of this age that truth is something that's always out of his grasp. And the other one who is speaking the truth and, and he's absolutely right. But I'm listening to both of them as they go at each other. And my heart began to break because I thought, they are parroting what they have heard their fathers in the Lord say for years. And they're repeating the emphases and the direction and the thrust and the statements that we have been saying as their fathers and mothers for 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 years and that the first thought, and in fact nowhere in the discussion that it ever occurred that what we need to do in the face of this disagreement or this difficulty or this problem in our nation is that we need to come together and we need to pray and we need to ask the Lord to do a work in us. We are the generation that has raised up a generation that knows how to talk but knows very little about how to walk with God this year uh, several weeks ago I shared with the staff as we're working through our priorities for 2015 that the, one of the number one things I want us to give attention to this year is in our own leadership in the various ministry areas is prayer and starting this year it's not a resolution it's just a new discipline another layer in my own walk with the Lord I started a, a new journal, a different kind of journal for me. I've journaled for years, but a, a, a different kind of journal in this. This is only going to be and has already become, the first few pages are filled out, simply a record of the things that God tells me to pray about each day, what he directs me to ask him for. In 1 John 5, he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and so sitting before him and and waiting on him to direct and bring to mind the things that I need to pray about. And I thought, you know, if I don't write it down, I'm not going to recognize when he answers. I've taught that for years, and I've, I've written things down for years, but not daily, not consistently. So I'm sitting before the Lord, and I'm saying, Lord, how do you want me to pray today? And making a note of that. And already seeing small things, but I know greater things are coming. I believe we need to study prayer We need to apply this issue, embrace this in our lives. I don't know who said it first. I haven't been able to find it. I found a half dozen people who said it. I haven't been able to trace who said this first, but I believe this is a true statement. History belongs to those who pray. History belongs to those who pray. And so this year, the history of 2015 belongs to those who pray. What's going to happen in my life or in the life of my family belongs to those in my family who pray. That's true of our church. It's true of your family. It's true of your home. It's true of your marriage. It's true of this church. It's true of this community. It belongs to those among us who pray, who go before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? How do you want me to pray? What do you want me to do today? God wants to use this church, each of you sitting here, to be a channel of his presence and his power in this place we call the Delta. And a year from now, or five years from now, or ten years from now, we can look back and we can say, I got it, I finally got it, and I understood, and I began to meet with God, and this is what's happened. Or you and I will look back five years from now, 10 years from now, and we'll say, oh, look at how bad the world's become. And of all the churches I know in Arkansas, and I know a lot of churches in Arkansas, I don't know one better positioned and more ready to take this step and to make this journey. I read this yesterday in my own reading time, in Luke four forty-two. 42, just listen. Now, when it was day... It's the first time it says this in Luke. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. Now, what did he do in that deserted place? You know what he did, don't you? He got up, he departed, went to a deserted place. In Luke 5, the very next chapter, verses 15 and 16, just listen. It says, however, the report went around concerning him all the more, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So, in response to this growing crowd, what does the Bible say? So, he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. The very next chapter, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, Now it came to pass in the, those, those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. In Luke 9, 18, it says, and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him. He was no longer alone. And then you come to the section where he teaches the Lord's Prayer in Luke. Now, that's not where we're going to study the Lord's Prayer. But we come to that Luke chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 and so forth, when he begins to teach the Lord's Prayer. Listen to the setup. Luke 11, 1. Now, it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place. He was praying in a certain place. When he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. I think they got it. I think they understood. This is the only thing the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. They never said, Lord, teach us how to heal. Lord, teach us how to do miracles. Lord, teach us how to expel demons. Lord, teach us how to preach. They didn't ask for any of that. What they saw was that he would go away and he would pray and then he would come back and things would be different. Things would happen. Lives would change. And they made the connection between his prayer life and what was happening in his daily life. And they said, Lord, Lord, (laughs) we don't know how to pray. Teach us. To pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, this occurs in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is going to teach us the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to study that. But this is kind of a prologue, this is the beginning to this teaching about praying and what praying is. And in these verses 5, 6, 7, and 8, Jesus identifies and discusses three areas that I believe will make or break my prayer life, your prayer life, anybody's prayer life. Three basic principles, three basic areas, critical areas of concern you and I have to resolve, you and I have to pay attention to if we're going to pray the way he wants us to pray. Three critical factors that will make or break your prayer life. Number one, the first one is motivation motivation check your reason for praying we see this in verse 5 Jesus is talking about hypocrisy in the area of giving in the area of fasting and also in the area of praying and in verse 5 he says and when you pray you shall not be like the hypocrites For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Look at it again. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues. Those are the religious settings. That would be like praying in church or Sunday school class. And there's not any problem with public prayer. The public prayer is not being contempt condemned here it's it's public prayer designed to get attention of people and so this is a religious setting in the synagogues and then he says on the corners of the streets those are the public settings and if you can imagine a street corner people are going four directions in a normal street corner unless you got a place where more than two streets intersect and so they would come and stand on that corner and and they would do it it says to be seen literally to shine before men not just to be seen, to shine, to manifest, to appear before others. During the exile, uh, if you know your Old Testament story, you know that God wanted to raise up a people for himself who would go and be a blessing to the entire world, to all the Gentiles. And they, you have the story of the Exodus and how the people were carried into slavery and then God set them free from the gods of Egypt and they, they were set free and they became the people of God ultimately invading the promised land and displacing the idolatrous murderous people of that generation that age and his goal his desire was that they would be faithful to him they would know him they would worship him they would experience him and yet they consistently over and over again fell into idolatry and so ultimately God carried them away the northern kingdom Of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, carried them away into captivity. Now, when they were in captivity, they could not do temple worship. Makes sense. The temple's not available to them, the temple's gone. And so, what did they do? They began a practice of praying three times a day. You see this in Daniel. Daniel was praying three times a day. They would pray in the morning, somewhere around nine o'clock, in the afternoon, somewhere around three, and then they would pray in the evening. And this was a substitute. For making animal sacrifices, they would pray. And so people would gather together to pray during those three times. Somewhere about three or four hundred years before the time of Jesus, after the people came back and were restored to the land, the religious leaders made a pattern of this praying. And it was called the Shimona Ezra, which means 18 in Hebrew. And it was 18, an 18-part 18 prayer that they would pray in the morning and the afternoon and the evening. 18 parts. And the first three parts were prayers praising God. The, the next 12 parts were making requests, and it covered just about everything that you could pray about. Forgiveness, redemption, health, prosperity, rain in its season, the in-gathering, the exiles. 12 things. And then there were three involving Thanksgiving. And when it was time to pray, they would stop what they were doing and they would pray this this pattern prayer, this Shemona Ezra, and the words became fixed over time. It was kind of free form before that. You just sort of prayed a, a form, but but by the time of Jesus it was fixed. And certain individuals that Jesus is referring to would take advantage of the fact that that. You stop what you were doing to pray. And they didn't, get, they didn't have prayer mats that they rolled out like Muslims do. They stood when they prayed. And, and they, would, they would put their feet together. And they would face Jerusalem if they were outside the city. If they were in Jerusalem, they would face the temple. And they would pray these, this 18-part prayer. And Jesus says that you're not to be like the people who Praying this prayer, not that there's particularly anything wrong with it, but you're not to be like these people who, when that moment of prayer comes in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, they position themselves in the most observable spot so others would see them praying and hear them praying because they do nothing about praying silently for the most part. When you prayed in that day and time, you prayed out loud, and Jesus said, "Don't be like that. Don't be like them." These people who made it a point to be observed by others. He said, don't be like them. Now, what I want you to hear very carefully is that it's the motivation to be seen by others that Jesus is taking issue with. It's the motivation, not the setting. It's the motivation, not the praying. It's not wrong to pray in church. It's not wrong to pray in public places. But Jesus is saying here, he wants you to be very concerned about why you pray. He wants you to look at your heart and say, why do I pray? To be seen by others obviously is a wrong way to pray. There are other wrong reasons to pray. In in James chapter 4 verse 3, for example, praying for what you want without any regard to the will of God, without any regard to what he wants, just praying for what you want. In James 4 3, he talks about asking amiss. Literally asking badly. He says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss or you ask badly that you may spend it on your pleasures. What's the problem? The motivation is the problem. The reason they're praying is the problem. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about what I need. Now, is it wrong to pray about your needs? No. But there's another motivation he's looking for. There's something else he wants us to be focused on when you and I pray. Prayer is more than that. It's about meeting with the Father that's it it's not about being seen by others or noticed it's not even about getting it's about being with him if you want you can turn backwards one chapter to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount Jesus says these words Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit. These people are blessed who are poor in spirit. They're poor not in dollars, but in the inner man. In their spirit, they're poor. They're conscious that in and of themselves, they have a persistent and a prevailing neediness always. And nothing in this world will make it go away. They are poor in spirit. Nothing in this world can satisfy them. Healing is not enough. A job is not enough. A simple answer to a prayer of something practical that I need is not enough. Blessed are the poor in spirit who carry within them a constant sense of neediness that only God can meet. So what does he say? Why are they blessed? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now you remember from last fall on Sunday nights we studied the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. And kingdom, you'll remember, is not a place. Kingdom is the reign or the rule of God. It's God's will being expressed. And these people who have this neediness inside of them that only God can satisfy, they're the ones who receive the rule of God that comes from the place I cannot see called heaven. They're the ones that see things happening. They're the ones that are experiencing God's activity. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So here's the motivation that you want to cultivate. When you come to God in prayer, you're coming because your own sense of need that nothing else can satisfy, that there's no one on earth and no thing on earth that will satisfy you except him. Motivation. Critical factor. Why do you pray? If it's, can I suggest that if it's any other reason, you will not be able to sustain your prayer life. If I come to him only because I want something, or I need something to change, I will not be able to sustain my prayer life. I will look at prayer and say, it does not work for me. It does not help me. I'm not going to do it. God's going to do what he wants to do anyway. I'm going to miss the, mo- the point if my motivations are Second critical factor need the right motivation, but the second factor that will make or break your prayer life is this. Location. Location. Carve out a specific time and place. We see this in verse 6. He says, but you, in contrast to the hypocrites, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The inner room in the house, most of the Hebrew houses were simple one-room affairs, but often they had a storeroom or an inner room. And the very name of it involved this word steward. It was a place where you stored valuables, you stored your supplies, you stored your food, the things that weren't perishable, you stored them there. and And it was an inner room that was a place of safety. It was a place where you could divide what you had and manage what you had without people seeing what you had. And he says, go there, this room that cannot be seen from the street, this place where no one can see you and where you can't see anyone else. He said, shut the door. So they can't even see you from the street. They can't see you from the house. Shut the door. Jesus is describing a location with three characteristics. First, location involves a time that you reserve. He says, but you, when you prayed. Notice that word, when. It's a reference to time. The kind of praying that Jesus is calling you to takes time, and you have to make the time. You have to carve that time out of an insanely busy world, which means that something else stops. Something else is put aside in order for you to pray. If you're like the average person, your time is filled up with all kinds of things. And we use every spare minute. We don't know how to sit still, how to sit idle. Our time is filled up. So you have to carve it out. Location involves a time that you reserve. Location also involves a place where you go. He says, when you pray, go into your room. It's an imperative of command. In other words, it's not an option. If you're going to pray, he says, do this. Do it non-optional go into your room when the time comes for praying jesus wants you to have a place do you have a place where you go mine has changed over the years i remember when gail and i first married and we lived out in the country it was a fence post by a cow pasture and i did have an audience but they didn't pay much attention The cows. But on that fence post, I could take my Bible. It was a big enough post, I could lay my Bible out. And I could talk out loud to the Lord. I could sing to the Lord. I could meet with him there. That was my place. When we moved out west, it was my office. Usually I was there alone in that particular little bitty office. And I would just close the door and I could be alone with God there. Often the office is a place for a pastor or for a minister. I remember another point in our life where the family minivan became my closet. We had six children at home, and we were at a critical moment in life. I didn't have anywhere else to go. And so I would get up early because once the children started stirring, it was done. There's no more quiet, so I would slip out to the family minivan, take my, my journal, take my Bible, close the door a little flashlight, and meet with God there. Right now I have a chair small table and a lamp and i can go there location involves a place where you go thirdly location involves a meeting that is closed he says and when you have shut your door pray to your father why close the door he's very specific about it it's not an option he said go to this place and then close the door what is he after he's after a circumstance he's after a situation where no one knows what you're doing except you and the father that's it just you and him are you gaining a sense of what the father wants most from you you know if you were just going to pray about stuff you needed you wouldn't have to go into the inner room and shut the door but if you're going to meet him to know him and to spend time with him and he wants to know that that's what you're about and that's your motivation you've got to go to that place you've got to close that door you've got to remove the distractions iPhones, airplane mode, or don't even take it in there. iPad set aside. I can't even use a Bible with study notes sometimes because I get distracted in study notes. Whatever it takes, I need to remember that my purpose in being there is not to write a Bible study, not to write a sermon, not to prepare a Sunday school lesson, but my purpose in being there is to meet with Him. So notice that progression. Reserve a time. Go to a place. Shut everything out so that it's just him and you and no one else. Why? Communion. He wants to be with you. That's the Father's heart. It's so obvious in this passage. If there's nothing else you understand about prayer, understand this. The Father wants to be alone with you. He set it up this way. (laughs) He taught it this way. He wants to be with you. He calls for you. He waits for you. He longs for you to come. So motivation is what draws you to pray, to be with him. Location is where that encounter happens. A time that you reserve, a place where you go, a meeting that is closed. And then thirdly, communication. It's the third critical factor, communication. Here we go. Keep it real and relational. Keep it real, people. Keep it real. I thought about trying to describe what it would be like if one of my children came to me and talked to me the way we talked to our Heavenly Father. and I thought it might offend somebody, so I didn't do it. Oh, Daddy. <laughs> oh, Daddy. Awesome, Daddy. Anyway, Jesus says this, and when you pray, Do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. Notice vain repetitions in my version, my translation. That word is almost impossible to translate. Some people believe this is the only place... In the Greek language, in the Bible, outside the Bible, where this word appears, and they're not quite sure how to how to translate it. It can mean something like vain repetitions. It's a Greek word. Logeo means to speak. Bata, bata. What's bata? Bata, 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 bata. I don't know. What's bata? It sounds like you're stammering. It sounds like you're you're stuttering. You're 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 uttering meaningless syllables and so what's the problem here is it the problem of unthinking prayer well that's a problem sometimes we pray and our mind wanders does does your mind wander or am I the only one I mean sometimes the mind wanders sometimes it's unthinking prayer sometimes we pray that way over a meal or at bedtime we're not thinking about what we're saying but that's not what he's addressing here is he talking about repetitive prayer I don't think so Repetitive prayer can be a problem, especially if it leads to unthinking, but Jesus was repetitive at times. In Matthew 26, you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked the Lord three times, would you take this cup away from me? He repeated himself. In the next chapter, in chapter 7, verse 7, he says, ask and keep on asking, seek and keep on seeking, knock and keep on knocking. That's repetitive. So I don't don't think it's repetition by itself that's an issue. Is it lengthy praying? That can be a problem, too, especially when it's time to eat lengthy praying i mean just get it on get it over with (laughs) lengthy praying i don't think that's the problem either we read earlier jesus prayed all night and so when we look at the lord's prayer the lord's prayer is a model prayer it is a template for prayer and and i know we recite it and it's okay to recite it but it's really designed it's really intended to be a a format a, a direction for how to pray And it's a kind of praying that if we do it well and thoroughly, it could take all night. It's not lengthy praying. To understand what he means by this phrase, vain repetitions, you have to look at the next phrase, as the heathen do. Do not use vain repetitions, as the heathen do. The first century Greeks and Romans, they had a whole collection of gods. And these gods were human looking. They acted like human beings. And they felt to get their attention, They had to pray a long time. They had to pray a long time to wake them up. They had to pray a long time to get their attention. And then once they got their attention, they had to pray a long time to get their answer. And they had to be relentless in dealing with them. And God is saying, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Your answers that I want to give you are not controlled by how you pray or by repeating mindlessly something over and over and over again. They thought they would be heard for their many words. They thought somehow they could control the deity by the way they were praying. And Jesus says, nothing like you're like that. Your father does not need to be coerced. He does not need to be coerced to hear his child. I already know, he says. I know everything about you. I know all. There is to know about you. I know what's on your heart. I know what's going to come out of your mouth. I know it all already. You don't have to beg me. You don't have to think that you can somehow manage me by your prayers. When it says in verse 8, Your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. When it says he knows, There's two different words for know in the Greek language, and there's a word for know in terms of knowing something experientially or knowing something intimately. That's not used here. There's another word for know that means to know something intellectually or know the facts about something. That's what is used here. He says, before you even speak, I already know the facts. I know the details. I know everything there is to know. And so you and I don't need to inform him. So why do we pray at all? I mean, if you're not thinking that question yet, you need to think about that question. If he already knows what I need before I ask, why do I bother to ask? Why does it matter whether or not I pray? Well, I think the answer is pretty clear from this passage, and I think it's a pretty amazing answer. We've already said it. That the reason he calls us to pray is so that we would separate ourselves from everything else, every other affection, and we will go to a place that is a secret place where I can shut the door, where it's just him and me. That's why we pray. And when I come, I can be myself. I don't have to use a certain kind of language. I don't have to convince him of anything. I don't, certainly don't need to inform him of anything. I can be real, and I can understand that this is a two-way relationship between me and Almighty God. I can just talk to him. We've talked about a motivation, why we pray, we've talked about location. Jesus said this is a critical issue. When you pray, I want you to really act like it's just you and me, this this meeting, a closed meeting. And we talked about communication he already knows who you are already knows what's going on but he wants to be with you so he calls you to himself he wants you to spend time with him the summer of of um, my right after my freshman year between my freshman and sophomore year of college i didn't have a job i needed a job i was transferring from university of texas to blue mountain college to do ministry studies and so I was leaving an engineering program is going to to study biblical studies and a friend in Alabama thought that her daddy could get a job and so I drove out to Alabama and he wasn't able to give me a job and so I drove back to Memphis I didn't know what else to do and another friend took me to meet a student pastor at Bellevue Baptist Church his name was Dan Carter he's a friend and he was a fellow Texan and he met this kid who had only been a Christian for 18 months he said I'll help you Don he turned around and picked up his phone within 15 minutes I had a job and a place to stay I wish it was always that easy and the place where they had for me to stay was with three young men who were student interns from Baptist colleges in Texas who had come to Memphis Tennessee that summer to work with students in the church alongside the youth pastor And the job that I got, though, did not allow me that kind of time. The job I had was working as a night watchman for Delta Airlines. I worked 8 at night to 6 in the morning. And so I would get up, try to figure out if I was going to go to early service on Sunday morning or the late service on Sunday morning. didn't matter. I slept through either one. I slept through some of the best sermons I never heard. And, and the time came where I would get off work and I would come home. And sometimes I'd grab a breakfast, and then I would come into the room, into the house. And, and as I came into the house, these guys were up. But I didn't speak to them because when I came into the house, after being gone all night working, typically I was able to read all night. I was studying the Word all night, and I've told that story before. And I was just growing in the Word, growing in my knowledge of the word but when i came into the house after being up all night and i walk in the house there would be a guy on his face in the living room praying and i'd have to walk through the dining room to get back to where my bedroom was and there would be a guy on his knees by a table by the the dining table he'd be on his knees with hands on the seat and he was praying and as i passed one of the bedrooms on my way back to my bedroom in the back there was a guy sitting on the side of his bed with his Bible open in his lap, and he was praying. I know I've been a Christian for 18 months, and I'd seen other people pray. I had some older adults that I prayed with when I was a young Christian, and I learned how to pray listening to them. But I'd never seen people pray like that at that point in my life. And the image of those young men on their faces first thing in the day, seeking the Lord was burned in my mind, and I never forgot that picture. History belongs to those who pray. What will happen is a consequence of you and I meeting with him. Let me ask you to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We want to have a time of response this morning, and if this morning, you want to give your life to Christ. This is a great opportunity to do that. And in these moments, I'm gonna pray in just a moment, but with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to consider, if you're a believer first, your relationship to the Lord and your prayer life. The purpose of our studying prayer is not to condemn or to convict. Our purpose is to open a door with clarity and with encouragement that I pray that you will walk through. If you've never thought of yourself much as a person who prays, I pray in a few weeks you will make the discovery that this is the sweetest moment of your day, the sweetest time of your life when you can go and be alone with him maybe the lord has touched your heart about your prayer life and you're realizing that so much is riding on this so much is depending on this and when we stand and sing you may just need to bow your head and say lord i'm hearing you i'm hearing what you're saying to me and i'm coming lord i'm going to meet with you i want to be alone with you the way you want to be alone with me but if you've never trusted jesus christ as your lord and savior you need to know that it was his death on the cross His death for your sins, the shedding of His blood for your sins that has removed every barrier between you and God. That because of His death on the cross, you can come into the presence of a holy God. And He has made it possible. And because He was a human being as well as fully God, He was tempted just like us. And when you come to the Father to pray, He knows what it's like to be where you are to feel what you feel, to be challenged the way that you're challenged. He not only wants to help you, he wants to change you. And this morning, if you're prepared to put your trust into Jesus Christ, to give your life to him, to follow him the rest of your days, he will forgive your sin, and his spirit will come to live inside you forever, to change you. So when we stand and sing, if you're ready to trust Christ, to make it known that you're following him, you're trusting him, I invite you to come and take one of these pastors by the hand say, I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you still need to pray and you have questions, they will help you. They'll answer your questions. They'll share scripture with you. Father and God, we thank you for this marvelous truth that you want us to come to you. May that truth Lodge deep in our heart. May we feel your call every day to come to the quiet place, the secret place, to be with you. As we respond to you, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us, guide us, each of us, in this moment of worship. We pray in Jesus' name.